Hello, and welcome to this podcast presented by the Southern Alberta Council on Public Affairs. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. Um, this particular group is, we are Gilbert Patterson Middle School. Um, my name is Tyler Levitt. I am co-director with Mrs. Fiona Miller here of the handbells at our school. Um, this particular group uh, meets at lunchtime, Mondays and Wednesdays, and they only get about 15 minutes every every time they meet, so half an hour a week to get this stuff together for Christmas, which uh, they work really hard at doing. We have a second group that's on their way in right now. Um, they meet after schools on Tuesdays for about the same amount of time, on, but only once a week. Um, this particular group um, is smaller, as you'll see, because after school time is at a premium. Um, but this group is uh, what we call the Martes Bells, and those of you that speak Spanish know that it's Tuesday, and that's the day that we meet. Um, and mart in handbells is actually a technique that one uses when they plunk the bell straight down onto the table. So it's a little bit of a play on words for this group. And you'll see that as we play through one of our pieces as they plunk their bell straight down on the table. It provides a specific sound. Uh, I give you the martes bells. Thank you so much to the Gilbert Patterson handbells group and their teachers. Fiona Miller and Tyler Levitt. Please join me in giving them another round of applause. That's not going to be the end of our musical treat today. We're also going to hear the select choir while we eat lunch. Um, we're a little behind time, so I'm going to go very quickly through um, what I need to do as a moderator. My name's Cheryl Bradley. Um, I'd like to remind you to um, turn off your cell phones and please um, put your money in the basket on the table. It's $11 uh, per lunch. And uh, we appreciate any contributions you want to make to SACPAWS. We're a volunteer organization. We want to also, again, acknowledge our partners, the University of Lethbridge, for its support and distribution of notices and country kitchen catering for the great lunches and Shaw TV for broadcasting sessions Sundays at 4.30 and radio station CKXU 88.3 FM and the Lethbridge Herald and other media for uh, profiling SACPAW events. Uh, it's going to be a shortened meeting today. I'm going to have to try to keep the speaker on time, which is going to be more uh, challenging, I think, because I, as moderator, need to declare a conflict of interest. Uh, SACPA has a tradition of requesting that moderators be impartial uh, when introducing speakers and topics. Um, but the speaker today is my husband. And the topic he is addressing is very near and dear to my heart, as, of course, is he... Um, I suggested to Terry Shillington, who conceptualized and organized this session, that another moderator should perhaps be sought. However, you know how persuasive Terry can be. And so here I am. 
Although domestic bliss hangs in the balance, I will do my best to keep him on time and be impartial. So our speaker today is Lauren Fitch. I believe you all would have received the flyer that uh, describes Lauren's credentials. He comes from a small farm in central Alberta. He's been a biologist for over 40 years. And um, now he's into semi-retirement, and he has a lot of time to think and write about um, the environment in um, Alberta and wildlife and how people have a role in um, preserving those things, which we most value. So without any ado, I'll introduce Lauren, please. Well, thank you for sure. Thank you for that, Cheryl, and uh, good afternoon. If uh, if you follow the Mayan calendar and believe tomorrow is the end of the world, I don't have much to give you. <laughs> of course, if you follow the calendar, you'd probably be out preparing for the end anyway, and wouldn't be here listening to advice on how to save the Earth. The thing about saving the Earth, and the important thing about saving the Earth is it really isn't about saving the earth. The earth is in no danger. It's we humans who are imperiled, along with some of the attributes of the earth we currently enjoy. I think solutions and salvation comes with technological prowess, but it may be more important to weigh, or to have the ability to weigh its consequences. One of the rules of physics is as you can't go any faster than the speed of light. And this parallels, which, which probably could be the first rule of human dynamics, which states you shouldn't go any faster than the speed of enlightenment. The first rule from Einstein's second theory of special relativity is immutable. The second one is broken relatively routinely. We can find some momentary wisdom in the words of Douglas Adams from his novel, A Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. He said, for instance, on the planet Earth, man had always assumed that he was more intelligent than dolphins because he had achieved so much. The wheel, New York, wars, and so on. Whilst all the dolphins had ever done was muck about in the water having a good time. But conversely, the dolphins had always believed that they were more intelligent than man for precisely the same reasons. <laughs> like you, I often fly on commercial airlines. I board the aircraft and dutifully snap the seat buck buckle on my seatbelt shut. My cynical side ponders how well my seatbelt will protect me as a 55-ton Boeing 737 plummets to earth, obeying the immutable laws of gravity. I am aware of the safety lecture, which is charitably a perfunctory bit of due diligence with a box ticked off somewhere in corporate headquarters that we were warned. If we don't heed the warning, well, it's on our heads. The impression we passengers are left with is that we're in good hands. The seat belt, safety briefing, and the fold-out safety card in the seat pocket are salvation in terms of what, ha what happens in an emergency. There's not much to read on the safety card. 
I assume that's by design as an aid to a quick scan on that plunge to earth amid the screams of my fellow passengers engaged in less calm endeavors. But no one around me appears pale or anxious, indicating that we're all cushioned with the illusion of safety, buoyed up by air traffic statistics, the standards of routine inspections, and the experience of our pilots. None of us have concluded that our lives are inexorably governed by the laws of probability and confounded by chaos theory. I'm pretty sure I'll survive, based on past experience, and the blind faith that has most of us believing that we'll win the lottery but never be involved in a car accident. Around me, like-minded people read, chat, and sleep. All of us are passengers in a tube hurtling along 30,000 feet above the landscape at 600 miles an hour. Somewhere out there in those immense skies, other tubes fly with people, hopefully not on an intersecting course with ours. I'm sure our pilots are monitoring the other traffic, but we passengers are blissfully ignorant about our fellow travelers and have little concerns about them. They're on their own. They've got their own safety briefings. Some may be on flights that still serve meals. I try not to think of that perk. When we safely arrive at our destination, our choice, a destination of choice, we disembark and all of us from different tubes mingle around the luggage carousel with the promise that our bags arrive too. We all make little involuntary sighs of relief and offer silent prayers of thanks for being back on the Earth's surface. But on the ground, it isn't much different. We're still all passengers on a liner hurtling through the cosmos. All the same, except there's no safety briefing. No pert flight attendant telling us to keep our seatbelt fastened, not to smoke in the lavatory, and to keep our cell phones turned off so they don't affect navigation. Maybe there should be a safety briefing when we return to Earth. It might make more sense than the perfunctory one that we get when we climb into a tube to leave the Earth's surface. What could we include in that safety briefing for the planet we ride on before we all head home, luggage safely tucked underneath our arms? How about these things? All of us ride this ship together. No other ships exist. Learn more about the craft we're riding on. Read all the manuals. Consider the limited carrying capacity of this vehicle. Don't lose any of the pieces. There are no replacement parts. If you make a mess, clean it up. Otherwise, we all sit in it. Air, water, soil, and biodiversity fuel this ship. Don't screw with the fuel. Regular inspections and timely maintenance will keep the craft functioning. Share the resources in this ship equitably. Once on, you can't get off. It's a one-way trip. Keep the heat down. Some parts of the craft are temperature sensitive. Limit your luggage. Ask what you really need. And remember, after you're gone, others will be riding on this craft. Leave it nice for them. Most importantly, it's not politicians, bureaucrats, technocrats, Christians, Muslims, Buddhists, Jews, atheists, generals, farmers, loggers, plumbers, environmentalists, corporate executives, the right-wingers, the left-wingers, or the buffalo-wingers 
piloting this craft. It's all of us with equal responsibility, accountability, and influence. Many of you are no doubt wondering where I'm going with this very global, very planetary, maybe even galactic line of thinking. Well, we're now on a ride together on the third rock from the sun. Please fasten your seatbelts. Perhaps it would be useful to start with some fundamental principles that form the mighty truths governing our approach to the world. There are five of them. What goes around comes around. Everything is connected. Everything is additive. Diversity equals stability. And we humans are in the loop. These five principles underpin everything. They are integrative, unifying, and stand as a group to provide order to our thought, particularly as we try and grasp the complexity of the task about how to save the earth. Understanding them doesn't mean that we're granted immunity from their actions, neither fighting the principles or ignoring them as, um, them as an option. You might be able to bargain for short-term relief, but, in, but over time, acceptance is the only option. So let's explore them in a bit more detail. What goes around, comes around, isn't just a cliché. It's an instruction manual. The world is a recycling center on a massive scale as well as an interconnected web. We breathe the same air and drink the same water as did the dinosaurs and our ancestors. The difference is the air and water of today has been fortified with the exhausts of our industrialized world. A nuclear reactor in Japan suffers an upset, and very shortly we breathe all of that result. In the plume from multiple stacks and pipes are heavy metals, toxic chemicals, and combinations whose synergistic effects are poorly understood. Once released, these substances are exported over the globe by currents that know no boundaries, provincial or national. This is a, an unintentional consequence of the global economy, that with benefits come significant costs. Everything is connected, speaks to the observation of John Muir, who said, when we try and pick out anything by itself, we find it hitched to everything else in the universe. We burn fossil fuels, cut down forests and rip up native prairie, which store carbon, fail to invest in alternative forms of energy, and then watch in amazement as polar ice caps and glaciers melt. Much of humanity is concentrated along coastlines, many of, of which are or will be subject to ocean-level increases. Climate change, a consequence of things that flow out of our smokestacks and tailpipes, means weather patterns have become unpredictable and the weather vicious. The majority of our agriculture, the source of our regular meals, is rain-dependent. Tinker with that, and the plate may not be full at supper time. Everything is additive, including that second dessert and that second drink. You may be familiar with issues of bioaccumulation of DDT and other persistent chemicals in the effects on nesting birds and fish. Most of those substances we filter out of air, water, and food with our lungs, kidneys, and other organs. These things linger, accumulate, and magnify in us as well, so that as an example... Mother's milk is now richly infused with persistent organic pollutants, heavy metals, 
and endocrine-disrupting chemicals. The effects of all of our endeavors are cumulative, and inevitably there's a line in the sand followed by a precipice. The science of cumulative effects analysis has progressed to provide us reasonable interpretations of overlaps, what the future trajectories are given the growth rates of today, and the signals to determine when to stop. Diversity equals stability isn't just an ecological construct. Diverse systems are inherently more resilient, stable, and resistant to perturbations. The principle applies to a forest, a business, a community, and probably to the world. I understand that to succeed in business, you need to identify your particular assets and leverage them to create your own competitive advantage. Alberta's competitive advantage isn't solely vested in barley, beef, oil, or dimensional lumber. It is our clean air, water, productive soil, and biodiversity, along with associated ecological goods and services, coupled with an educated and healthy population that provides our strengths. Once you lose that foundation, the Alberta advantage is gone. We humans are in the loop. Let me incite you with a startling statement. Let's not kid ourselves that we manage the environment. It's impossible to send a fish to a course on how to swim better in less water, or a cow to a workshop on sustainable grazing, or to persuade water to avoid being contaminated. Less startling, but not yet fully understood, is that we are not immune from the effects of our own activities. Nothing happens in environmental management until people agree to behave in ways that recognize the effects of their actions. With recognition comes responsibility, and with responsibility eventually comes accountability. Then we will understand the challenge of learning as a modern society how to live the good life on earth without abusing the generosity of our hostess. Speaking of abuse... The phone rang recently, as is the usual case in the middle of a meal. My negative reaction was partially mollified by a soft female voice asking if I was the head of the house. I quietly answered yes, hoping my wife wouldn't hear. The call was from a national conservation organization that had teamed up with a major credit card company. As it was explained to me, if I signed up for a card, a percentage of my purchases would go to the conservation organization to help fund more good work. Imagine, the lady said, the more you spend, the better it will be for conservation. <laughs> Alarm bells started to toll. To clarify, I asked, so, the more stuff I buy, the more things that I do that are channeled through my credit card, the better off wildlife will be and more habitat will be saved. Yes, was the enthusiastic response. But I said, wouldn't all that activity caused by, by me buying more stuff actually cause habitat to decline and wildlife to suffer? After all, the stuff has a cost outside of what I pay for it. The impact on the environment of more oil pumped, trees cut, minerals mined, factories built, roads constructed, trucks operated, stores opened, water diverted, and so on. The more I spend, the more I consume. The more I consume, the more I'm responsible for using up the natural environment your organization is trying to protect. 
I was really warming to the subject when that initial sweet voice turned sour and snarled, I guess you don't care about conservation. <laughs> she then hung up on me. But, I struggled to say into a phone receiver already dead into my hand, I do care. Many of us do. Bird identification guides outsell Bibles. The majority of Canadians agree the environment is a high priority. I just don't think you can put conservation on a credit card or that we can consume our way to a healthy world. Consuming our way to a better world seems self-defeating. I believe we've developed a societal blindness to our consumptive or, more to the point, over-consumptive habitats, habits. The split between what we think and what we do is profound, says Wendell Berry, the Kentucky farmer and philosopher. In our myopia, we can't connect the dots between consumption and loss of valued pieces of the natural world. It is a truism in nature. Everything is connected, is additive and cyclical. So to bring this back to Earth, here's a question. The question to you. This is the interactive part of this. How many of you have children, are contemplating having children in the future, associate with the children of others, or think that children are our future? If you remain unmoved at this point, were you a child in the past? <laughs> Secure in the notion that, that adults were operating with your best interests at heart. I hope I've achieved some level of solidarity amongst you on the subject of responsibility for future generations. To take on that responsibility, to ground it to the earth, might start by contemplating what you would write in a letter to those that follow us. Could be to your grandchildren, great-grandchildren, or the descendants of others. It's a letter to the future. Here's what I might write. Dear Alex and Monica and hum hundreds of you, I will never meet. As I write this to you today, I realize it may be a while before you will be able to read. You may not be born yet. In fact, your parents may not yet be born. But as I think and plan for the world that you will occupy, especially for the essentials that will sustain you, I want to keep you in mind. I want you to be top of mind in my thoughts. Considering water air, soil, and space, I'm not so much bequeathing them to you as I'm thinking about how my use of them now will affect you at a time down the road. As I write this, I share the responsibility of planning your future with many. While we hope and dream of what your future might be, we realize that whatever opportunities you will have for employment, security, stability, and health will be largely determined by our activities today. I think I can speak for all of my fellow travelers when I say we want you to be happy. I'm unconvinced, though, that happiness is related to the acquisition of more stuff. A healthy economy allows us to buy stuff, but a healthy environment ensures there is stuff to be bought. Without a healthy, stable, and diverse environment, the economy falters, stumbles, and we fall into survival mode. We can't buy ourselves out of that position. We want you to find employment, good jobs, that will keep you here. But we also want to ensure that you not only make a living, you make a life. Life revolves around family, community, recreation, responsibility, and health, 
not just a job. We are just now beginning to appreciate that a healthy landscape supports healthy people. Perhaps that realization would be more ingrained in your time. To me, the measure of a healthy landscape includes water clean enough to drink, air pure enough that breathing isn't an article of faith, productive soil to raise food, the natural expression of biodiversity, and ecological integrity within the influence of a relatively benign climate. If the quality of those items becomes our measure of how we make a living from all the things we do now, including farming, extracting oil and gas, timber harvest, manufacturing, and urban development, you'll have a great life. I'm not sure you'll be able to appreciate how hard it is to do this now, to slow down, to save, and to conserve when the opportunity seems so pressing and the financial ward so enticing. So as we think and plan, we ponder what will best serve you. It would seem to me that the two most important gifts we can give you are the ability to use information to make wise decisions and a quality environment in which there are still choices left to be made. My fondest regards, Lorne. Think about what you might write. Take off the hats you wear that represent the interests of today and think about those who don't have a voice in the future especially those yet to be born. If saving the world and ourselves is worthwhile, consider this simple proposition. Buy less, consume less, and live on a healthier earth longer. Connect the dots. This may be said about maintaining our earth, the truism that if we want a better world, we will have to become better people. This is a practical, pragmatic, Simple, cheap, and easily adapted solution to the issues of the globe. All that is required is that we change ourselves. Thank you.